Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, guys, it's great to be back, right? Did y'all enjoy the break? Yes, I'm excited to be back here um, to be able to serve you guys today. If you're new to Redemption, my name is Byron. I get the privilege to serve here each and every week as the lead uh, planter and pastor here of the church. And so if it's your first time, I want to say thank you guys so much for gathering with us. Today we're going to be kicking off a new series in which we cleverly titled Prayer. I know it's ingenious, right? Um, And so I'll, I'll let you know how I came up with this title. So as it's a new year, so we're wanting to kind of reorient and refocus ourselves when it comes to, you know, who God is and what God would will for our lives. And so I knew I wanted to center the conversation around prayer. So I started thinking, I started, you know, dreaming, I started praying, and, uh, and I wanted a name that you would remember three weeks later. And so cleverly, we came up with the title, Prayer. So that's what happens when you pray. You get ingenious sermon series titles like that. So your pastor's so creative. Pat me on the back. All right, awesome. Um, Before this gets any further off the rails, I think it would be good for us to start this series on prayer with guess what? Prayer. Yes, let's do that. Let's start with prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your son Jesus in redemption and salvation, that you have given us the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead us and that you've invited us into a relationship with you through prayer. Father, we thank you for this relationship, that we can pray to you as Father, that we can pray by the Spirit and through the Son. God, we pray today that we would become people of of prayer, that we would see how great you are, that we would delight in you, and that we would find all of our joy and all of our satisfaction in you alone. We pray for each other in this room. We pray for our church. We pray for our gathering. We pray for our city. And we ask that you do all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Prayer. How does that word make make you feel? When you hear the word prayer, how do you you feel? Do you feel delight? Is it exciting? Are you joyful? You're like, yes, prayer. Or do you feel despair? Is it kind of convicting? Like when you just say the word, it's kind of like, ugh. Right? Is it delight or is it despair? Now, I want to say starting off that this is not a guilt sermon, okay? I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but what I want to do instead is I want to show you how good God is, and then that prayer would be out of gladness, out of his glory, and for your greatest joy. That prayer would be a delight, because I'm sure that I could go and we could ask anyone in this room, and I could go up to you and say, hey, how's your prayer life? And everyone would kind of be like, meh could be better, right? I mean, we could even ask like the holiest, most spiritual, devout in the room. You could wake up at 3 a.m., hit your knees in prayer, be raptured into what Paul calls the third heaven. And I could ask you, how's your prayer life? And even that person would say, eh, could be better, right? Because there's still two other levels of heaven I could be raptured to, according to Paul. So it all could be, could be better. And so to make matters worse, talking with some of you, myself included, friends and family, many of us we don't really understand prayer, right? I mean, we don't understand it. We don't know what number to dial when we're calling God. Sometimes it feels as if our prayers stop at the ceiling. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what it is, who we pray to. And so while prayer is one of the most foundational spiritual disciplines in our lives, most of the time we don't really understand. For one reason, nobody really ever taught us. It was kind of expected of us, and we know that, but nobody ever really taught us to pray. And so we tend to treat prayer kind of like driving a stick shift. Like, you know, I've done it once. I'm pretty sure I could do it again. Like, if I tried enough, I could figure it out. But most of us just kind of go through life just grinding the gears when it comes to how we pray. And so, you know, it's the new year. So many of us have probably made New Year's resolutions. Like, that's cool if you did. Like, some of us started off as like, I want to, you know, eat well, lose weight, quit smoking. I want to get a new job. You know, I want to travel. So we've made these resolutions, some going well, some not so much. But what I want to put forward for us as a church is that this year, that we would work hard on becoming people of prayer. Because every great move of God started with prayer. 
And we believe that God wants to move in your life and God wants to move in our church and that God wants to move in our city. And he does so by starting with us and it starts with with prayer. So this is why we've created a a 21-day devotional for us as a church that we'll be walking through starting today. Um, We're encouraging some of you to, to fast. We're opening up Sunday morning prayers at 9.50 because we want for us as a church to become people of prayer. So prayer for us is delight. It's not out of, you know, duty or out of despair. It's not religious obligations. Like, we don't have to pray. We get to pray. That we don't pray because, you know, we think that in that God will love us, but we get to pray because in Christ, God already has. That it's this relationship that God is inviting us into. And so we, we get to pray because we have a great Father in heaven. We have a glorious Savior in Jesus And that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell in us, to empower us, and to enable us to pray. See, it's for us, it's to be a delight. It need not be despairing. And so, as we get started, I think a good way to begin is by giving a, a good definition of what prayer is. Okay, so the easiest definition that I, wait, hold on a second, before we go any further, um, I want to say this. This might be one of the most practical and applicable sermon series that I have taught and may teach for a minute, okay? It's very applicable to our lives. If you're new to redemption, you've been hanging out for a while, um, then you know that I teach in a way that's called expositional preaching, okay? So that's a big, funny word. Um, I'll explain it to you right here. Um, it It basically just means verse by verse, book by book, through the Bible, pulling out the big idea and presenting it in a relevant way, all right? So I typically just preach through books of the Bible. So here at Redemption, we've done Philippians, we did Habakkuk, we did Ephesians, we spent some time in 2 Corinthians. So we just preached through major books of the Bible. But this is gonna be more of a topical series. So I read through the Gospels, I pulled out all the teachings that Jesus does on prayer, and so I'm just gonna be presenting those to you over the next three weeks. Okay, so if you went to VBS or if you like got a sword drill award when you were a kid, this is gonna be very familiar for you. So lots of verses, all right? We'll have them up on the screen. If you can flip there fast enough, good for you. Um, and, and for you book guys, like don't worry, we got plenty of books that we'll be getting to this year, okay? So if you're a book guy like me, next we're gonna do the book of Titus, okay? So we'll be walking through that for a few weeks, looking at God's glory in the church. After Easter, we're gonna do Song of Songs, the truth about sex, love, and marriage. Yes, your pastor just said sex, okay? So that might be a good series for your kiddos to try out Redemption Kids, just saying. The book of James comes in the fall, okay? That's bold words from Jesus' brother. And then at the very end of the year, we're gonna do the book of Jonah, okay? What it means to run from God. So if you're really concerned about the last week of November of 2017, go ahead and start reading the book of Jonah. We'll catch up with you. That's where you can go. But for those of of us here, what we're going to do is we're going to start with prayer. So the simplest definition that I can give you when it comes to prayer is this, communicating with God. Right, that's it. Just communicating with with God. See, some people, they want to make it very complicated, but it's not complicated. Right, it's just communicating with God. And, And here's why. Prayer is important. It's because communication is a demonstration of affection. Okay, you, you know, I can, I can learn a lot about you. I can tell a lot about you if you just give me five minutes with your phone, right? Some of you that makes, might make nervous, okay? But if you just give me five minutes with your phone, I can tell a lot about you based upon who you talk to, who you call, who you text, who you email, who you message, who you follow on social media. I can tell a lot about you because that's who you talk to, right? You know that you love someone when you want to talk to them. And in return, you know someone loves you when they they make the effort to stay in touch. Because communication is that demonstration of affection in our lives. And what I find so amazing is that our God invites us into this. That our God not only loves us, but that our God also listens to us. That's amazing. He's always attentive. He's always listening. He's always speaking and he's always responding. See, it's a give and take relationship. God's always giving, and then we need to give back to him, and we call that relationship prayer. See, God speaks to us in a variety of ways. Mainly, God speaks to us through his scripture, right? God has written us a book. As we read it, the Holy Spirit enlightens us, and so we read our Bibles, and God's speaking to us through the Bible. God also speaks to us through preaching and teaching. So right now, as you're sitting here under submission of the word of God, God is speaking to you. That's why sometimes when you, when you hear a sermon, it just hits you right in the heart. 
Sometimes it's moments of joy. Sometimes it's moments of conviction. But you know, that was that word just for me because God's speaking to you through his, his word. So God speaks, but God also listens. And we call that prayer. As we pray, God listens to us. This is amazing that God would invite us into this relationship with him. Now, why do we get invited into this relationship and other parts of creation do not? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how come we get to pray and trees don't pray? Right, trees don't pray. How come your pet doesn't pray? Right, your dog and your cats, like, they don't pray. So why is it that, that we get to pray and other parts of creation don't? It's because they're not made in the image and likeness of God. But we are made in the image and likeness of God. Trees don't bear his image. Dogs, cats, they don't bear his image. But you were created in the very image of God. And you were made to be in that relationship with him. See, our God is a Trinitarian God. Okay? It all starts with the nature of himself. Our God is Trinity. Okay? And this is the classic, standard, orthodox Christian belief that all Christians have held to close-handed for the last 2,000 years. The doctrine of the Trinity. That means there's one God and three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. It's not three gods. It's not three persons. It's one God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And within the very nature of the Trinity, of, of God himself, there is equal love, respect, adoration, submission, community, and communication that God is always speaking within himself about his glory. So the Father speaks to the Son, the Son speaks to the Spirit, the Spirit speaks to the Father, vice versa. They're always in community and they're always in communication. So when God made you, when God made Adam, he created us in that image to be in relationship with God. Now, as we'll get into a moment, sin separated that relationship, and so we need a Savior to reconcile us. But the, the beautiful thing is that we were made in this image to be in constant communication. And no one teaches the, the unique aspect of Christian prayer, Trinitarian prayer, such as Jesus does in his life and his ministry. That Jesus is always praying to the Father. Jesus is always filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's always teaching us how and why and when and where we are to pray. And so I want to just look at what makes Christian prayer so unique and how Jesus teaches us that we are to pray, right? And so first thing that Jesus teaches us when it comes to prayer is that we are to pray to God as a father, okay? This is what he says in Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father. That's pretty plain, right? Father, all things are possible for you. All things are possible for who? Your father. That's amazing. And he goes on, he says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. All right, so the first thing Jesus says is when you pray, know this, God is your father. Only about a dozen times in the Old Testament is God mentioned as a father. And when he's spoken to as a father, it's always national, okay? It's always like in his dealings with the people of Israel, but it's never personal. One time in the book of Psalms, God is referred to as a father, but it's a poetic device. It's never personal. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and when Jesus does, he introduces a whole new understanding, a paradigm of the relationship that you and I are to have when it comes to God. About 160 times in the four gospels alone, Jesus speaks of God as a father. He introduces a new understanding of how we can be in relationship with God. And so this means that if you are a Christian or you become one today, that you are adopted into the family of God, that, that you and I, we become brothers and sisters, that the church, universal, is a family. And above all of that, God is our Father. This is amazing. That God would teach us, that God would invite us into this relationship as a Father. And, and so, um, now, I recently became a dad. And when I became a father, it really taught me the father heart of God how God sees us from his perspective. Okay, so you mean that the same way that I look at my little girl is the same way that God looks at us? The same way that I look at her, look after her, would do anything to protect her, to provide for her, is the same way that God sees us. This is absolutely amazing. Now, obviously, Esther, my girl, 
She doesn't communicate with me in the way that you and I would communicate because she's like seven weeks old. Um, and so, so she, she just cries a lot, okay? But, but me, like I'm always learning how to discern these cries. I'm always listening. I'm always attentive. I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always there. And so as she cries, I'm, I'm learning to discern. So I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a hungry cry. All right, let me go get mama. Mama can help with that. Um, I got nothing for you, sorry. Um, and then I could, you know, okay, that's a dirty diaper cry. I can do that one, right? So I, I get on that. Okay, that's a tired cry, right? That, that, that cry um, means, means something else. It's I wanna be held. And see, I'm always listening. I'm always active. I'm always attentive. I'm always there. And that's the same way that God is when you pray. When you cry out to him, he's always listening, listening to you. Now say in a few years they go by, and Esther comes up to me, and she says, Dearest earthly father, who provideth bounty for my belly, I, doth thou come playeth with me? If she were to pray like that, I think, what the heck is wrong with this kid? Right? What, what's wrong with her? See, the relationship isn't based upon her eloquence or her trying to impress me. It's that I love her, and she's my kid. That's why I listen. So when it comes to prayer... The most important thing that I will ever teach you, okay, if you forget everything that I say, which you most likely will, please, please remember this. God is a father. And that he loves you with the love and the affection that a father has for their kids. And so when it comes to learning how to pray, it's good to, to read the books, Right? It's good to read the blogs. It's good to listen to sermons like this. But if you really want to learn how to pray, look at how a child interacts with their dad. That will teach you how to pray and how a father is there for his children. Now, immediately saying this, some of you, you're going to have pushback. Right? You're going you're to have a, a reaction to this. And the reason being is that we had bad dads. Right now, we're in a fatherless epidemic in our nation. 40% of children are gonna to go to bed tonight without a father in the home. And so much of our identity comes from our family, so we don't know how to relate to God because we don't know who we are or where we come from. Many of us, we grew up with bad dads, abusive dads, neglective dads, overbearing dads. And so what we tend to do when it comes to our relationship with God is we tend to project the failures of our earthly father onto our heavenly father. And what we need to do instead is stop, pull back, and then judge our earthly father by the sovereignty, the love, and the goodness of our heavenly father. That when we pray, we're in this relationship with a God who loves us, okay? And, and so for those of us who are dads or becoming dads or will be dads one day, I want you to know this. God has shared with you a sacred title, father. So let us as a church today covenant together to be good dads, to be good dads, because when we share in that name of Father, we're blessing God himself. And so, and so some of us, we grew up without the fathers, and maybe you didn't have a dad, or, or he was abusive or neglective to you. Know this, the one time in Psalms where it says, Father to the fatherless, he's speaking to you. That if you don't have a dad, or you didn't have a dad who treated you well, know this, you have a great father in heaven who loves you with that love and the affection. And Jesus teaches us to pray to God as Father. The next thing he teaches us is that we are to pray by the Holy Spirit. So we pray to God as Father, and then we pray by the Holy Spirit. This is what he says in Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Okay, good, point one, Jesus is on track with, good, Father. Now skip down to verse 13, and this is what he says. If you then who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so Jesus's life is marked by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and his ministry. And Jesus says this, if you want to learn how to pray, first you must receive the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in order to pray. And here's why. It's because sin has separated us from the relationship with God. That you and I, through our sin, we're bent in towards ourselves. We have no desire for God. We have no relationship with God. We have no restoration when it comes to who God is. Before Christ, there was no desire 
to God. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says no one seeks God, not one. We have all gone astray. So what we need is we need the Holy Spirit to awaken us, to enliven us, so that way we can pray. We must have the Holy Spirit first. Now, some of you think, well, I prayed a prayer once. Well, that's good. The Holy Spirit, I would tell you, prayed that prayer and moved you to do it. That God was at work through the Holy Spirit in you, on you, through you, before you could ever even make that move to accept Christ. And the first prayer that God always answers and the one he's guaranteed to always answer is, Lord, forgive me. That prayer is the Spirit at work in your life. And so when it comes to Spirit-filled prayers, it doesn't mean some high heavenly platitudes. It's not Bible bumper stickers. Spirit-filled prayer is not even overly charismatic overtures. That's not what Spirit-filled prayer means. This is what a Spirit-filled prayer is. It's honest, it's heartfelt, and it's humble. That's a Spirit-filled prayer. Give me a man who prays like that, I'll show you a man filled with the Spirit who prays honest, heartfelt, and humble prayers. Sometimes spirit-led prayer is just praise. It's just raising your hands to God, worshiping, being moved with joy and adoration and thankfulness. We just worship Him. That's spirit-filled prayer. Sometimes it's moments of repentance when the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin that's in your life and it drives you to your knees before the Father to get right with God in repentance, to turn from your sin and to turn to Him. And sometimes it's, the Spirit leads us in prayers of suffering, of, of, of pain, and of deep sorrow to where we know that the only source of hope that we have is found in the comfort of God. That is a Spirit-filled prayer. So we're to pray to God as Father. We're to pray by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, Jesus teaches us is that we are to pray through J Jesus himself. This is what he says here. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says the only way for us to have this relationship with God is through Jesus himself, that it's through the Son. Okay, so we are all sinners separated from God. Jesus, being the second person of the Trinity, stood at the edge of heaven for the right time to step into this life, to live the life we never could that he died the substitutionary death for our atonement. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he overcame the grave, giving us new life with him forever. At his ascension, he rose to the right hand of God, where now in 1 Timothy it says he serves as our mediator between God and man. So Jesus is exalted into his glorious state, standing at the right hand of the Father, and if you were to close your eyes, envision Jesus, this is where you'd see him at right now, standing, praying for you. That's what he's doing. Think about this. Our God is interceding on our behalf? This is amazing. That the same way that he took your sins upon himself is the same way he's taking your prayers and presenting them to God. He serves as the mediator between God and man. That we must go through Jesus in order to get to the Father. So right now, Jesus is taking your, your hurts and he's giving them to God. He's taking your, your prayers, your requests, your thankfulness, your sorrows, your pain, your suffering. He's taking all of those things and he's presenting them to God. And as he presents them to God, he turns and he gives you righteousness. This is absolutely amazing. And this is what makes Christian prayer so unique is that it's Trinitarian, that it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The complete fullness of the Godhead is at work in every aspect of your life when you pray. Isn't that amazing? So while we need to learn to pray by Jesus, through Jesus, we'd also want to consider what it means to pray like Jesus. Okay, so we love Jesus, so we want to be like Jesus. So how is it that, that Jesus prays? Okay, that's a good model for us. Now what I noticed or what I thought was interesting as I read through all the Gospels leading up to this series, trying to pull out the teachings of prayer, what I thought was interesting is that Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't spend a whole lot of time giving focused, detailed teachings in regards to prayer. He has several teachings, but what I mean is this. He didn't write a book about it, right? There's not a book in the Bible by Jesus, nor is there a whole book in the Bible about prayer. He didn't give us a manual. He didn't write, you know, 10 blog posts. There's no YouTube videos about how to pray from Jesus. But what Jesus does instead is he weaves prayer through all of his life, ministry, and teaching, modeling it to those who he was closest to. So for Jesus, prayer was ongoing, continual, and it was unceasing. Jesus just always prayed. He's always in communication with the Father. 
And so as we're learning to, to learn how to pray like Jesus, we need to consider how it is that Jesus prayed. And the first way in which Jesus prayed is he teaches us that we are to pray often. This is what he says here. He says in Luke 5, 16, but he, being Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay, so for Jesus, prayer, he would often withdraw to these places. So for him, it was a ongoing thing. There's 42 times in the New Testament that it mentions Jesus praying, where he's praying to God, where he's teaching about prayer, where he's spending time with his disciples, where he's modeling it, 42 times. So it's an ongoing, continual thing in the life of Christ. Now, me and Ashley, we've been together for 11 years. We've been married eight, we dated for three, so that's 11, yes, 11 years. Over those 11 years, communication has been something we've constantly had to be working on, okay? Communication is so important. For you married couples, or for you singles who aspire to be married, communication is very, very important. When we first started dating, we were in a, a long-distance relationship. So Ashley lived in Houston, I lived in Orange. And communication was very important to develop that relationship because we didn't get to be with each other very often. Now, when we got married and she moved in, um, our communication had to change. As the relationship developed, our communication had to develop because if the communication doesn't grow along with the relationship, the relationship starts to break down. And so over the years, we've had many ups and we've had many downs when it comes to how we communicate. But with something that we always have to be working on, right? And so one of the things that I've learned when it comes to communicating with my wife is, is that, you know, it's something that um, there's never a right time or a right place or, you know, a right moment, but it's just always good to communicate, right? So no matter you know, wh where we're at, we want to check in with each other. So it could be texting, phone calls. It could be Facebook messages. Sometimes, you know, you just write her a note as you're heading out the door. Sometimes you, you, you talk in the morning over coffee. Sometimes you, you, you grab lunch or you sit together as a family over dinner. Sometimes it's when the baby's asleep and that's the only mi minute you can get right before bed. But you always want to be in that constant communication because if you don't, then the relationship begins to break down. And that's the same way when it comes to prayer is that we can always pray. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, it's just always a good time to talk to God that constant communication. And what I mean by praying unceasingly, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that you have to quit your job, you have to move to a mountain, wear a Jedi robe, act like Yoda, and drink herbal tea. That's not what I mean when it comes to praying unceasingly. I'm not saying quit your job, delay having kids, don't get married, and just kind of live this life as a monk. That's not what it means. What praying often, praying continually, praying unceasingly means interjecting prayer into your everyday life living your everyday with gospel intentionalities. Now, the big pushback to this is some people say, well, I don't have time. And you're right, you don't have time. You make time. Because nobody has time, except for the people who make it. We've all been given 24 hours, we've all been given the Holy Spirit, and so we need to make time for the things that we love. And we love Jesus, so we have to make time to pray. Now, I wanna give you eight simple ways, if you give me a little excursion here, I wanna give you eight simple ways to which you can interject prayer into your everyday life. So it'll be brief. But these are tools that I wanna help provide for you to learn to pray often, pray first. Okay, so for the first one is the traditional posture of prayer. In Luke 22, Jesus in the Mount of Olives gets down on his knees and prays. Elsewhere, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. So your traditional understanding of prayer, knees bent, head bowed, eyes closed, hands folded, that's just sometimes a good posture to take. It's just good to get on your knees before God because it shows humility and it shows honor. Okay, so when you envision prayer, sometimes that's good. Just take that traditional posture. The second one is journaling. Yeah, Ashley is an amazing journaler. I get really jealous when I see her do it because she has like three or four notebooks just filled with um, prayers. And every time God answers a prayer, she runs to her journal, she marks it, she dates it, and she shows me, hey, look, God answered a prayer. And I'm like, dang it, that's amazing. Right? Her prayers are disciplined, mine are disastrous. Right? When I pray, it's like a Hail Mary, not the Catholic kind, into the end zone. And I'm just like, God, I hope something works out. Do you pray like that? That's how I pray. Break glass in case of emergency, pray. And so 
So she's disciplined, and that's one thing that I want to learn how to do this year, is to journal. It's a good thing. It's a good discipline. The third way in which we can pray every day is you can pray in your car. Right? Redeem your commute. If you drive 15, 30 minutes to work, pray in your car. Right? That could be an extra 30 minutes of, of time that you could get back and give back to God in, in, in prayer. Now, one thing you can do is take an index card, write one, two, three, and then make three prayer requests for the week. Tape it on your dash and just drive down the road to keep your mind focused in prayer and also not missing the traffic that you're driving along with too. So it could be church, family, friends, boom. And as you're driving, spend a couple minutes praying for each one. You need to redeem your commute. The fourth way that you can pray is you can sing songs, right? One girl I know, she sings songs. Um, I sing, but not very well, but Jesus loves it when I sing, and I'm sure he loves it when you sing too. And so um, sing songs. She sings spontaneous songs of worship where you raise your hands, you sing, you make songs. Um, we've also made a Spotify playlist so you can download the songs that our church sings, and you can just listen to those in your car. And after the sermon today, we're going to sing songs. Don't leave. Stay. Worship. Raise your hands. Praise God. Pray. Sing songs. Another way you can do it is this. Praying in tongues. All right, some of you are going to go, oh my gosh, did we just talk about that? I, I, no, we can't. Now, this is a gift that God has given on Pentecost, and I believe that it's a gift that's still available for Christians today. Now, not everybody speaks in tongues. I understand that. But some people do. I personally pray in tongues. I joked with my friend who's a, a Baptist minister who, um, you know, skeptical on the gifts, and I always just tell him, I said, I, I'm not special. God gave me this gift because he knew I sucked at prayer, okay? And so I needed all the help that I can get. So when I pray in tongues, it's the Spirit praying with me, teaching me how to pray. He, he's praying, you know, when I don't know how to pray, what to pray, when to pray, he helps me in that. And so that's a gift. Maybe you could ask God, say, God, would you have this gift for me? And see if he gives it to you. Not everybody does. And I'm, not, I'm talking about a private prayer language. I'm not talking about standing up and making a big scene or being weird. I'm just saying this is a gift that God gives to some people to teach them how to pray. So that's a good gift. Another one is this, silence and solitude. Okay, I know I have a, God can read your thoughts. God reads your mind. God understands. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in silence and solitude. One of my friends, Kayla, who serves here at Redemption, she prays at work. Okay, so she works in surgery, so she has scrubs on, she's got a mask on, she has a scalpel in her hand, and she's just praying while she does it. Right, that's the kind of person you want in the surgery room, right? Okay, so that's a good time to pray. See, God, God knows your thoughts. He understands. He knows what you're thinking, and so anytime's a good time to pray because you can pray in silence. Another thing is to pray in solitude. Okay, sometimes you just need to shut it all off, turn it down, turn off the phone, turn off the music, turn off the TV, and just get alone with God. Turn it all off and sit in silence. I believe it was Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, who said, if I could prescribe all the world one medicine for its element would be this, to sit alone in silence. Sometimes in the busy of the world, you just need to turn it all off and turn to God. Last, uh, eight, seventh is meditation. I grew up thinking meditation was evil, right? That meditation was only for Eastern religions and, you know, they meditated. We, we are Christians, we pray. Then I read the Bible, and meditation's in it a lot. And now we are to meditate. The psalmist say, on your law, I meditate day and night. So we need to be in meditation continually, often. So here's the difference, however, between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. Eastern meditation is to detach from the world and then to empty your mind. Christian meditation is to connect to God and to fill your spirit. So that's how we meditate. Pick a Bible verse. And just memorize it, pray over it, envision it. And that's how we pray. We meditate on his word. And then lastly is this, eight, is prayer walks, right? Just put some music on, go for a walk, get out of the house, walk around your neighborhood, walk around your city, take a walk out in the woods and then just pray. Just walk and work it out with God. I like to ride my bike. I'll go on a bike ride for about an hour, maybe two, around downtown on Saturdays as I just kind of pray for our Sunday gathering. So I'm praying for you and riding my bike. I'm praying to God. I'm, you know, working on my sermon. I'm praying for our city and just going for a ride. See, we have to make time. It's very simple, but we have to cut off the distractions and connect to God himself. We need to make time for the things that we love. We love Jesus. We want to pray like Jesus. We want to pray to Jesus. We pray often, pray regular, and become those people of prayer. See, there's very simple ways in which you can interject prayer into your everyday life. 
The second thing that Jesus teaches us when it comes to pray is we need to pray in faith. This is what he says here. Matthew 21, 22. Truly I say to you, if you have the faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So this means that when we pray, we need to believe that God exists. We need to have faith that he listens, that he's sovereign, he's in control, that he is good. We have faith that God loves us, God listens to us, and God moves on the prayers of his people. Now, some of you say, I tried that, it didn't work. I prayed and nothing happened. I prayed and God didn't listen. To that I say he did, he just didn't answer it in the way in which we'd expect. But I believe wholeheartedly God listens, God answers every single prayer that we pray. Sometimes he says no. God answers every single prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and later. Right? You know this if you're a dad, right? Kids come to you. You got three answers you can give in your request. Yes, no, or later. But God answers all of our prayers. And so we need to pray in faith that God hears because we know that we believe that he is listening. And now when we don't get what we want, it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Sometimes God's answer is yes, sometimes no, and sometimes later. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, Ashley and I suffered a miscarriage. And we were completely devastated, completely broken. We were destroyed. Now, there's all sorts of different teachings. People can get weird sometimes when it comes to why suffering or why God doesn't answer prayer. And, but we became frustrated with God. Now, many of our friends, they would come to us offering to help us, and they meant well, and their heart was in a great place, but it doesn't always help when you're in that moment of pain like that. And they would say, you know, now that you've been pregnant, your body wants to be pregnant, and so it's going to happen very quick, very naturally, right? It's just going to be like that. Problem is, it didn't. It didn't happen. And so over the years, when we were praying, and just God's telling us no, and we're frustrated, we're wrestling with God. Frankly, I had given up hope completely. Thank God for those journals that Ashley had, which kept us tethered to the truth in that moment. And now obviously, we heard that as a no, when in reality, it was a later. But in that moment, we thought it was a no. And then we get frustrated and angry at God when maybe God's saying later. Now I asked Ashley this question as we were driving home from visiting her family and um, I kind of brought it back up, and I said, hey, you know, why is it that you think that, you know, God maybe told us later, or no, or, or what do you think about it? And she said, you know, for me, becoming a mom had become my God. That a child had become my idol for my happiness and for my joy. And I was seeking for that from something other than God, and God knew that, and God was protecting me from myself. That God was working on my heart, God was working in our marriage, so that way when we did have Esther, I knew my joy came from him and not from being a mom, and that I can truly enjoy being a mom. See, sometimes God says no and later because that's best for us, and we need to trust in faith that God's always working for his glory and our greatest joy to pray in faith. Next, Jesus teaches us to pray succinctly. He says this, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not he heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you pray, get to the point. Right? Just get to the point, honest, just pray. How are you feeling? Get it out there, go to God, be honest. You're not trying to impress him with your many words. You're not trying to impress other people when you pray. He says, pray succinctly. When you pray, just get to the point. I'll give you an example, because we all have someone like this in our family, and they all want to pray over lunch. You know this person, one who, when they pray, they say, dearest heavenly father. And then they begin to pray, and they use words that nobody ever uses. You never, I've never even heard of that, right? They're just throwing out Shekinahs and Melchizedek. And you're like, What? Are you just trying, are you just making this stuff up? And they're like, by the time they're praying, you know, the food's cold, the cowboys lose, and everyone in the family's an atheist, like that guy. 
And Jesus says, they've received their reward. There you go. Cold food, your family hates you, cowboys lose. Praise God. That's you. Cowboys fans are like, hey, we're not letting him pray today. And so, um, so, so Jesus says, don't pray like that. He says, pray, get to the point. I'm a good dad. I love you. Let's have it. Be honest. Go to him. You're not trying to impress him. He already loves you. He already sent his son Jesus to die for you. He already gave you the Holy Spirit. He's already promised you all the blessings in heaven. What else could you want? More of him? Be honest. When you pray, pray succinctly. Get to the point. Fourthly, he says, pray in God's will. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the name of, of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. It's John 16, 22. Here, Jesus teaches us what may be one of the most bold statements that we can add to our prayers. So pray in God's will. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. You know, when we say at the end of the prayers, in Jesus' name, amen, what he's saying is that you're praying in God's will. And this is a bold statement. Now, I had been taught that praying God's will at the end of your prayer was kind of a coward's way out, that you didn't have enough faith to, to, to receive what you actually prayed for. So you, you tack God's will at the end. But what this really is, this might be one of the boldest declarations that Jesus teaches us because it's saying in faith, God, I recognize your ways are better than mine and I'm gonna trust you, God's will be done. That I'm gonna pray in Jesus' name. That God, you're sovereign, you are good and I'm gonna trust you in that because you're in control. So maybe what I prayed might be a little bent towards self. God, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to bend it back out. This is one of the boldest things that Jesus can teach you when it comes to prayer. That you're praying for Jesus' name, not your own name. That you'd be praying for Jesus' glory, not your own glory. That you would seek his good above all else. This is what it means for us to pray in Jesus' name. Now, there's some weird teachings when it comes to prayer, especially in Jesus' name. They'll teach you that if you just tack Jesus' name on it, it's like a, it's like a magic word, like abracadabra. And if you say it enough, then Jesus has to show up and do whatever you ask. Like God's your genie and you're just yelling loud enough and he shows up to, to help you. And that's not true. They say if you name it, you claim it, and you tag Jesus' name on it, you'll get whatever you want. Right? That's not true. See, prayer isn't trying to get God to bless your will. It's your will blessing his. Say, God, what is most important? Jesus, you want me to, to grow in faith? Okay, God, help me grow in faith. Jesus, you want me to, to be led of the Spirit? Okay, Spirit, lead me, whatever may come. Okay, Jesus, you want me to be more generous? God, help me to be generous. You want me to, to take care of the poor? You want me to pray for the sick? Okay, God, give me opportunities, because whatever you will, that's what I will. My life is yours, I'm trusting you, I'm praying in Jesus' name. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Fifthly, he says to pray humbly. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this story about two men praying in a synagogue. So these two men, one's a Pharisee, the religious leader of the day, another is a tax collector. Pharisees were very looked up to as they were the holy and devout men. Tax collectors were like the lowest of the low, right? Tax collectors, everybody hated tax collectors. Basically, tax collector was this a Jewish person who worked with the Roman government to steal from Jews, right? So this guy, he probably like your cousin who forecloses your grandmother's house and then comes over and says, hey, where's Thanksgiving this year? Like that guy. Like everybody hates tax collectors. And so these tax collectors and this Pharisee, they were in the synagogue together and Jesus says they prayed. The Pharisee prayed like this, Lord, thank you that I'm awesome and all these people are horrible. Everybody else is like, oh my gosh, Really? Can you pray like that? And he's like, God, I thank you that I'm so good. I'm so holy. I'm so rich. Look at all these poor people. This guy's horrible. Like that guy can't even do anything. He, I heard he got fired from his job. Oh my gosh, God, all these people need to be just like me. That's how the Pharisee was praying. How did the tax collector pray? He got down on his knees. He beat his chest. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which prayers did you think God heard? It's the tax collector because he prayed humbly. Truth is, we're a lot more like Pharisees than we think. As we're driving down the road and we're looking at other people, as we're walking through the mall, as we're sitting across from the near cubicle, we tend to think a lot like Pharisees. God, thank you I'm not like that person. 
When in reality, we're all tax collectors. We're all far more sinful than we can imagine. But we're also more loved than we dare to think. Pray humbly. You and I, we have no right to go before a holy and just God. With our sin, the things that we have done, how could we stand before a perfect, just, and holy God and expect anything other than judgment? How? Humble prayers of forgiveness. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That should be the position and posture we take with all of our lives. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. When we pray, we need to pray humbly, not arrogant. If we pray like tax collectors, we get cuts in the line to hell. But if we pray like, if we pray like Pharisees, rather, but if we pray like tax collectors, then all of heaven will be opened up for us. It's amazing. And then lastly, tells us this. He says, pray, hopefully. In Luke 18, he says, always pray and do not lose heart. Pray hopefully. Some of you, you've been praying for things for a very long time. That thing, what is it that you've been praying for? Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. If you know it's in God's will, if you know that it blesses him, keep praying. If you know that it brings him glory, it brings him honor, keep praying. What is it that you've been praying for? Keep praying. Don't just pray once and then just move on, say, well, I did my part. No, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep going to God. And here's why. It's because when you pray, often, regularly, first, it keeps hope alive. It keeps hope alive. Some of you, you feel like you've given up or you've lost hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Stay focused. Stay intent. Keep praying, and your hope will be found in him. Say, okay, God, you've been praying for, for husbands to come to faith for a long time. Does that please God? Yes. Keep praying. You've been praying for a job because you're underworked or unemployed or underpaid, whatever. Keep praying. You've been praying for family members, coworkers, for friends to come to church. Is that in God's will? Yes, then you need to keep praying for that situation. Keep praying for that person. You've been praying, you wanna get married, you're looking for a husband or a wife, but you don't have one, but you still feel this need or desire to be, to be married. Okay, well keep praying. Keep praying for your future spouse. For those who are single, keep praying because two reasons. One, it'll protect you from temptation because you're not gonna do things because you know God has something better for you. And the second is it builds godly character in you for the day that marriage comes. Keep praying, God's at work in you and through you when you pray. Keep praying, don't lose hope and don't lose heart. Jesus says he is with us, the spirit is in us and the father listens, moves and responds to us when we pray. It's amazing. And this is how Jesus teaches us how to pray. I want you to hear in this series, not that I have to pray. You get to pray. You get to pray. That we don't do it so that way God will love us, but because God already has loved us in Christ. The prayer need not be rote religion, but it can be gracious joy and opportunity that we would be people who would get to pray because we have a God who loves us in this amazing way. Isn't that awesome? So it would be insane for me to preach a whole sermon over prayer and then not give you the opportunity to pray, right? right we wanna be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So we're gonna do things a little bit different today. We're gonna call the band forward and you know, different's good, right? You're at redemption, many of you are different, okay? so. We're gonna give you this opportunity. Somebody laughed, good for you. Um, we're gonna give you this opportunity to showcase your difference, all right? And now every single week when we wrap up a sermon, we always do a couple of things. Every week we always take communion as a, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for that reconciliation, that right relationship. When we take communion, the spiritual presence of God is in us. And so we get to experience that grace through communion. We also invite our prayer team forward for anyone who needs prayer. They're available for you in prayer. Um, we sing songs in worship 
and uh, we lift our hands, we worship, we sing, and then we give of our tithes and offerings. And so there's baskets located all around the, the, the sanctuary, so if you want to give your tithes and offerings, you can do so that way. But today we're going to do something just a little bit different. Um, you know, we believe that, that you are able and empowered to pray. So we want to give you that opportunity to pray. So in a sec, as, as we're worshiping, I'm going to stand here on the stage, and I'm going to sing along with you. My mic will be off. Your prayers are answered. Thank God for that. Um, and we're going to sing a song before we take communion. And while we're doing this, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. First, um, I, want, I want you to pray quietly to yourself. or not to yourself, to God, quietly. Um, and get your heart right. And then I'm going to make some asks. Maybe you need prayer for salvation. You need to accept Jesus. Okay, then, then the people around you are going to pray for you. Or maybe you need prayer for a financial situation. Just raise your hand, and then the people around you are going to pray for you. And we're going to break up into little groups of you know, three or five people, people sitting next to you, and we just want to take some time to pray for each other, as a church, to pray for each other. So whether it's salvation or you know, financial situations or a, a child or whatever, we just want to spend some time as people of prayer. Some of you might be like, I don't know, like, this is kind of weird. Well, I want to remind you, you did come to church. It's not Taco Bell. So we do things sacred. This is a sacred place. I know we're in a bar, but this is a sacred place. When we're all gathered together, we're called the church. Okay, so let's act like the church. And let's pray for one another. I'll close in prayer. Then we'll play. I want you to pray. And then if there's anything after you take communion that you, you want specific prayer for, our prayer team will be up front, and they would love to pray for you, all right? So if you guys will stand with me. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to give us your son, Jesus, to give us salvation, to open the door of relationship with you, to invite us in, to come to you, to come before you, and to, to pray that you love us, that you sent the Son, that you've given us the Spirit. God, we pray in faith today. We pray hopefully today that you do move on behalf of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.